Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what-ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley, inviting you to open to the radical notion that in your life, whatever you perceive to be in your way is the way. In other words, your challenges, whether they be relationships, compulsions, finances, or illness, come with gifts embedded in them that can bring healing and allow you to experience the joy of being fully alive. Mary is a counselor, awakening mentor, inspirational speaker, and the author of What's in the Way is the Way, the gift of our compulsions, belonging to life, and the magical forest of aliveness. What's in Your Way is the Way with Mary O'Malley is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the way. And I am your host, Mary O'Malley. And today we're exploring the power of attention. Whatever there is that arises in the mind or in the heart, just watch it. Let go of it. Don't even wish to be rid of thought. Then the mind will reach a natural state. No discriminating between good and bad, fast and slow, hot and cold. No me and no you. No self at all. Just what is there. Achancha. To make the leap into a mind that can live beyond its own story is to include rather than exclude, observe rather than fight, and hold vision rather than becoming lost in doubt and fear. In order to know this, one of the most important steps we can take is to transform the way we use thought. We cannot use our old style of thinking to heal the maze of pain and struggle that we find ourselves in. The old style that says we have to discover what is wrong and fix it, change it, or get rid of it. This only fosters more struggle. If we try to get out of this maze by claiming that we are wrong for being here or that we just need to exercise the bad parts and all will be well, we will only stay lost in the endless world of struggle. As soon as we label something bad, wrong, or defective, we give it energy. Using our old ways of trying to change whatever we don't like, we activate a law of physics. 
What is pushed against pushes back. A good example is weight loss. Statistics from the Surgeon General of the U.S. show that 98% of the weight that is lost by Americans is gained back plus some within a year and a half. And yet, one of the most successful topics for books on the New York Times bestseller list has been dieting. This tells us something about how much we believe in a style that says, just overpower what is wrong, do it right, and then everything will be okay. We go to this mode over and over and over again. The tricky thing is oftentimes it does work in the initial phases. Many people have lost countless pounds. But the long-term evidence shows that most of that kind of weight loss doesn't last. We have done this same thing with our thoughts. We believe if we just think right, then everything will be okay. We don't see that thought is like the tides or the seasons. If there is a low tide, then it is assured there will automatically be a high tide. And when the tide goes out again, we are left struggling on the beach, wondering what we did wrong. The healing we are yearning for doesn't come from constantly changing the content of our minds, nor does it arrive by trying to understand where particular patterns come from. These are both important tools for maneuvering through our minds. But the depth of the healing we are ready for arises out of our ability to simply see and acknowledge the story in our mind and to recognize that its core addiction is to struggle. We're only beginning to recognize the phenomenal power of focused attention. To learn the art of being curious about what is rather than always trying to make things different is to discover how to transform our struggles through focused attention. This is the art of true alchemy. A good metaphor for the shift in healing we are ready for is a messy house. The core intent of our healing up until now has been to clean it up, creating a more livable mind. This is an important part of our journey. But what we most yearn for is to go outside and play, to become bigger than the house of thought, and to again reconnect with life, the living moment that is always here, no matter if our mind is overly busy, it's lost in despair, it is acting on rage, the living moment of life is always here, waiting for us to come home. My life is a good example of these two different styles of healing, endlessly trying to fix and change myself, or becoming willing to see all the stories I took on when I was young that kept me separate from life. Because of the lack of safety I felt in my childhood home, 
I had slowly retreated into a maze of contraction, terror, and self-judgment where nobody could contact me. This heralded a gradual but steady descent into overeating, alcoholism, mental illness, drug addictions, suicide, and behaviors that have taken years of forgiveness to heal. All the help offered was based on the classic belief that since I was hurting, something was wrong and I needed to be fixed. It was doomed from the beginning because people related to my brokenness, not to my wholeness. Not one of the people I went to for help recognized me as something other than a problem that needed to be solved. And thus I saw myself through that lens too. But I didn't need to be fixed. I needed to be seen and accepted and given a hug. The turning point in my life came the third time I tried to kill myself. Two attempts before had not worked and I was lost in the self-hatred that said, you never do anything right. You are even a failure at suicide. The last time, I slipped my wrists over and over again, becoming more and more furious at my body with every stroke because it wouldn't bleed enough to die. On that night, I asked my first honest, open-ended question, the kind of question you ask without looking for an answer. I said, if I can't stand the pain in my life, and if I can't leave this body, what is this all about? As I share this with you, I am remembering vividly that windowless bedroom and me sitting on the floor, leaning against the wall, overtaken by self-hatred and despair. But in hindsight, I can see now that this simple question was the beginning of my journey out of the labyrinth of my struggling mind. People and books started showing up that opened me to the world of meditation. My first forays into this world were done through the more traditional forms of chanting and visualizing and focusing on accessing expanded states of consciousness. At moments, especially after a particularly centered meditation, I could finally open into a place of deep peace. The glow would last for a while, but then eventually the mind, with its roller coaster of thoughts, feelings, and beliefs, would erupt into this sanctuary, and again I would be tossed into the cauldron of confusion, self hatred, and despair. The intention of these forms of meditation, just as with the counseling I was receiving, was to get rid of or move beyond states of mind that were considered undesirable. Both brought healing into my life, 
but they also kept me caught in the endless struggle of trying to heal myself, trying to do life right or better. I can still remember a time when the staff of the School of Natural Healing that I worked for had a party. We began it with a group meditation in the backyard. When it ended, the leader said to her friend, Wow, did you go there? Alluding to a level of consciousness. When he answered yes, she responded, Wasn't that wonderful? Well, I hadn't gone anywhere. I was struggling during the whole meditation. I left, went into the house, retreating into the shower, and remember beating my hand against the wall while raging, when am I going to do it right? For years I struggled, becoming a part-time meditator while constantly chastising myself for my lack of discipline and for my chaotic and unordered mind. I was once at a meditation retreat and World War III was going on inside of me and I opened my eyes and gazed across the room, 125 other meditators, and I knew, I absolutely knew that they were in wonderful states of bliss. And I was the only one that was cut off from that. I felt like a closet failure for not being able to control my thoughts or create the right levels of consciousness. Of course, now, years later, I see that they were all in various degrees lost in struggle and coming back and lost in struggle and coming back. But I didn't know that then and there was great pain. I went to Jack Cornfield and I told him of my pain and he suggested that I walk outside doing walking meditation when everybody else was inside meditating and that I would meditate in the hall when everyone was outside walking so that things were quieter and I could more deeply listen to what I was experiencing. Later on, one evening, I was sitting in front of the fire after putting my young children to bed. My mind was hashing and rehashing <laughs> the day and one particular struggle, favorite struggle, when all of a sudden, a very clear voice inside of me said, You know, this is only thought. In that moment, it was like having been in a cold room my whole life, and all of a sudden it became toasty warm. All that is happening is that I am here, sitting in front of a fire and my mind is spinning a tale of chaos and confusion, said awareness. At that moment, I discovered a freedom I had never known before. Of course, by the next morning, that knowing seemed very far away, but a part of me knew that the next phase of awakening 
had shown up. A different kind of meditation came into my life, one that taught the art of simply paying attention. This wasn't about constantly trying to make myself and my life different or get to a better state of consciousness. It was about becoming very curious about what is right now. The skills and techniques I learned opened me up to the possibility that who I am is something bigger than this stream of thinking that I had always been identified as me and thus had always been trying to exit or change. At first, whenever I was with people who taught and counseled that way, I felt the same feeling I had felt by the fire that night, deep peace. But I couldn't hold on to it or make sense of it when I left their presence. I was continually trying to understand the ability to become bigger than thought from inside the maze of struggle. I was then given the grace to meet Stephen Levine. He has written many books on death and dying, and he had a 24-hour hotline in his house for a number of years where people who were dying or their loved ones were dying or they were just in a great trauma could call and get help. Hanging out with people on their deathbeds, they taught him how to be truly alive. And he was the one that showed me the pathway back home to my wise and inclusive heart, my heart that had layer upon layer upon layer of armor around it. His definition of healing says it all. Healing is bringing awareness and mercy into that which we've held in judgment and in fear. Just let that in. He's not saying the healing that you long for will come when you have fixed yourself or you have figured out how to do life better. Instead, it comes when you learn how to bring your awareness, your attention into exactly what you're experiencing, but bringing it with deep and abiding compassion. I was able to sit with him many times and he spoke wonderful insights and enclosed them in a merciful and compassionate heart that allowed me to soften around the experience of my chronic struggles. Slowly and surely, I was able to see my story rather than being lost in it. And I began to experience moments of belonging to myself, of belonging to life, pure moments of truly being alive. But in the beginning, it was hard. I had followed the world of struggle for decades. My ability to ground in the moment and to become curious about what part of the story was appearing 
was not very strong yet. At times, it felt like every state of mind and emotion that I have tried to escape was realizing that finally there was somebody home, a part of me that could meet them with merciful attention rather than always trying to change them. And they all lined up pushing and shoving into my conscious awareness in order to be seen and met with my heart. Over time, I began to see that these were not random experiences flailing themselves at my awareness. I understood that the story which removed me from life was built slowly and painstakingly out of myriad experiences. And there was an order to it, just like a novel. There was a preface, an introduction, and unfolding chapters replete with footnotes and bibliographies. And I saw that this story could be dissipated like the ephemeral cloud it was just by the act of seeing it. In other words, oh my God, I'm feeling so anxious. I don't know what I'm going to say when we get together. Or, oh, anxiousness is here. I see you. One of the core sentences that remained in my heart from my very first teacher, in the seeing is the movement, began to make sense. I didn't need to fix all these parts of myself. Being able to see the voices that had run me my whole life was moving me into a space beyond them. And it was also allowing these stories to relax because they're just like you and I. When we're having a bad day and we share something with a friend and they say, oh, good God, I can't believe you're talking about this again. Or let me tell you what you need to do to fix yourself. Or they just ignore us. It doesn't feel very well. But if somebody listens, really listens to us, things begin to move through and you feel better without having done anything. So fixing, changing, and understanding can at times bring a more ordered mind, but you're still caught in your mind. I was now ready for freedom. The next phase was really making it safe for my heart to meet all of these disparate parts of myself, even the most hated and feared. This took much longer. There was so, so much of me I had locked out of my heart. And my mind created a doctoral dissertation about why these parts didn't deserve the healing balm of my own heart. But I became deeply committed to meeting the storyteller in my head with as much compassion as I could muster at any given moment, and then bringing my attention back to the living moment, even if I could only stay there for a second or two. 
This was not easy, nor was it as simple. Well, it is very simple. But our minds are very complicated, and there's many moving parts that need to be seen, met, and enfolded with love. In the beginning, waking up to the story meant becoming available to it, and at moments when my awareness was not strong enough, I would fall deeply into the labyrinth of my mind. But I stayed with it, and slowly I began to see how young my fear was, how devastated my shame was, and how alone my despair was. And as I explored what I was experiencing with as much curiosity and compassion I could find, I also began to see that the pain I was experiencing wasn't just my pain. It was our pain that all human beings carry these same pains. And as I became committed to meeting my formerly disowned parts with curiosity and compassion, the meeting they longed for, I became committed not only for my own healing, but for the healing of all the children that would come after me. Every time I contracted, I would learn how to open, and eventually I returned to life again, sometimes a little bruised, but more aware of how my story was put together and more connected to the rapture of being alive. The Possibility of Awakening The purpose of a spiritual life is not to create some special state of mind, for they are always temporary. It is to work directly with the most primary elements of our body and mind, to see the ways we get trapped by our fears, our desires, and anger, and to learn directly our capacity for freedom. Jack Cornfield Imagine two fish jumping out of the water. Before they dive back in, one says to the other, Now I know what you mean about water. Formerly, they were just immersed in the water, so they couldn't see it. But when they were above the water, they could now see it. We're doing the same thing with thought. In a moment where our attention is connected to the living moment, we recognize the big difference between being lost in a conversation about life and being with life exactly as it is right now. To see the stories in our mind rather than being lost in them, our attention becomes available again to life. We begin to be able to pull it out of the onward unfolding of the stories in our head and actually come home to this living 
moment, hearing the sounds, tasting our food, feeling the support of the chair beneath us. We then discover that there is something here that can only be experienced in the living moment. Behind the veil of conceptualization and all of our attempts to control life is the essence of life. Or as Rumi says, beyond right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I will meet you there. And that field is our home. We are being individually and collectively shifted out of the separate struggling mind that has caused so much heartache on this planet and being invited back into an intimate connection with the essence of life that permeates and penetrates absolutely everything. We are now at a crisis point where this shift is necessary. Just look at the climate change and the increase in hatred and divisiveness. It is a crisis that has arrived not because we have screwed up. That's so important to hear it. It's arrived because this is the way life unfolds. Over the eons, whenever life was ready to shift into a new level of evolution, it always moved through a time of crisis as the old way was trying to hold on and the new way is being born. And that is where we find ourselves. More and more of us are being cracked wide open and invited back into life where we can see that every single particle, every single plant, every single being is a sacred and necessary part of the whole. And when you see this, there is no way you can do harm to yourself, to your fellow human beings, and to the planet. So we have gone as far as we can closed in this experience of separation, lost in the style of thinking that divides rather than unites. Our communication systems are sophisticated enough now for us to see that we have been denying the harmful effects of this separation, denying the effects on ourselves, our loved ones, our societies, and our planet as a whole. Through this comes the possibility of understanding that we will destroy ourselves if we continue to stay lost in the maze of the separate mind. The mind that creates the illusion of them and us and fosters wars, violence, and heart-breaking judgment. To become conscious of what thought is doing allows us the freedom to use it in ways that connect, unify, engage, and embrace life. 
This begins with the acknowledgement that each of us lives inside of a war most of the time in our minds. And because of that, the world lives in war. In this recognition, we can then gather the commitment, the curiosity, the compassion it takes to relate to the struggles of our minds rather than being lost in them. Every moment in which we relate to the content of our minds rather than being lost in it. Oh, anger is here rather than I am angry. We take ourselves along with everyone else another step into the healing that we are ready for. We will explore as we continue more and more about how to unhook from our addiction to struggle. But I want to give you a, a preview of coming attractions. So I invite you in this moment to close your eyes and after I give you the directions I invite you to pause the recording. As you close your eyes, put your attention on the sounds arising all around you. There's loud sounds that are close. You can notice my voice. There are soft sounds very far away, maybe an airplane going overhead. There may be cars going by, dogs barking, the heat turning on in your house, gurgles in your stomach. And I invite you for one minute to notice and name the sounds that you are hearing. If this is hard to do, keep your mind on track by counting how many different sounds you hear in this minute of pause. Notice that there will be times when you are hearing the sounds. And then there'll be times when your attention will slip back into thinking about what you're doing. Maybe the mind will say, am I doing this right? Or, or maybe it's saying, oh God, I'm really good at this. Or maybe it's just uh, saying, I don't want to do this. It's, it's stubborn. It's like it's crossed its arms across its chest. Or maybe it just feels like an abject failure. All of these are okay. It's just the momentum of the old kind of mind. These thoughts are not you. You are that which can see these patterns of thought that were conditioned inside of you when you were very, very 
young. And so know that in a way it's okay that here you are listening to the, the, you can hear the faint sound of a car coming and then you begin to hear it go away and then all of a sudden your mind says, oh my God, I had the oil change scheduled yesterday. I totally forgot about it. Oh my God, I can't go back to that place because they, you know, they'll think me stupid or they'll judge me. So uh, as soon as I get done with this, I've, I've got to go find another place to get my oil change done. That's just the mind. Don't fight with that. Just say story and then come back to the sounds. And so in a way, it's a very good thing that you wander off. Your attention wanders off back into the world of thinking about your experience because then you can bring it back and you have strengthened the muscle of your experience again. And it doesn't matter if you only can stay for half a breath with the sounds. The mind has an ancient momentum and our attention has just followed thought wherever it goes. If it says we're mad, we think we're mad. If it says we're sad, we think we're sad. And this momentum has built up over the years and we are also living in a collective mind that is basically lost in thought too. So be not dismayed if your mind wanders, your attention wanders off into your mind over and over again. Just acknowledge story and then bring your attention back to the sound. So we're going to pause for a minute. Listen to the sounds and bring your attention back to the sounds when it has gone away. And now let go of listening to sounds and just be curious about what happened when you were invited to bring your attention back to life using sounds as your anchor. And know, even if you wandered in thought most all the time, that's okay. We've only been lost in thought for most of our lives. But every single moment you bring your attention back to the sounds, even if you only can notice it for a second or two, you have strengthened the muscle of your attention. And I assure you, as you give yourself this gift on a daily basis, 
and we'll be exploring other ways that you can strengthen the muscle of your attention. But in the meantime, use the sounds. And every single time you bring your attention back to this living moment by hearing life, the muscle of your attention gets stronger. And I assure you, over time, when terror arises, you may be initially like one of those three-foot-high inflatable plastic dolls with the weight in the bottom, and you're knocked over, but you'll bounce right back up because you will immediately become curious. You will become awareness itself that can see the terror or the despair or the rage or the loneliness or any other state of mind body that you contract around. For true awakening is a healing of our ancient contractions in our mind, in our body, and in our heart. So we can relax, open again, discover that it wasn't safe for us to be open when we were young. That the last time we were fully open, we got the living bejesus scared out of ourselves. But now we're not children anymore. And life is inviting you back into life and back into the safety of being open to life exactly as it is. And I assure you that slowly and surely, even the most challenging states will find their way back home to your heart so you can be fully alive and so you can become a part of the healing that is happening on this planet. The healing that most people don't see they see it is a breakdown time. They see it through the lens of a breakdown time. But it is really a breakthrough time. And I invite you to become a part of that healing. For every moment you return to life is a moment of healing on our planet. And every moment you relate to even the simplest state of mind. A busy planning mind while you're washing dishes and all of a sudden you see, oh, my mind is planning. I'm not here. And you bring your attention back to the smells of the soap and the feel of the sponge on the fork and the warmth of the water. You literally have become a part of the healing of our planet. So I thank you for listening. I thank you for the courage to begin to explore the pathway back into life. And remember, the root word of courage is cour, it's French. It means big heart. No that I know there is absolutely nothing that you have thought, said, or done that doesn't deserve 
to be brought back home to your heart. So cultivate the courage. And as I shared with you earlier, when I didn't have the courage to do this for myself, because my states had caused me to feel I didn't even deserve to be alive, and so I tried to kill myself three times. So these were some pretty heavy states. Most people don't have to meet that heavy of a state. But I assure you that slowly and surely there is not anything inside of you that you need to be afraid of or ashamed of. And as you bring all these disparate parts of yourself back into the whole community of your heart, our world will be healed. Namaste. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening to this edition of What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley. You can access Mary's offerings on her websites, maryomalley.com and whatsintheway.com. Join Mary next time to experience the peace and joy that is always with you on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.